everybody. Welcome again to another Taming the Shrew podcast. And this week, uh, we'll be joined by uh, Dr. Courtney McKee, as well as Dr. Jeremy Lieben, who are going to be discussing the role of the coronary CT scan in the emergency department. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Jeremy and I are glad to be here today to talk about uh, coronary CTs. We'll be reviewing some representative papers from the literature and discussing what this means for the emergency physician's practice now and in the future. So coronary CT was proposed in the late 90s and is as an attractive alternative to invasive cardiac restratification. No need to obtain a formal angiogram on patients. Run them through the CT scanner instead. It's an attractive concept, particularly with the now ubiquitous nature of CT scanners as well as the time and logistical difficulty presented by other forms of non-invasive cardiac restratification. Multiple papers have demonstrated to us that coronary CTs are accurate, reliable, and with results generalizable potentially out to two years after testing. Coronary CTs have also been shown to have an ex- excellent negative predictive value for coronary artery disease and ACS. But coronary CTs are a little bit more complicated than running a patient through the scanner. Like an angiogram, they are excellent when entirely negative or very positive. The intermediate results don't give physicians a ton of insight into the patient's cardiac function, which is where, of course, provocative stress testing shines. So what then has been the impact of coronary CTs over the last 20 years for the patient, the provider, and the healthcare system? In what patient population are they most appropriate? Do they provide us with meaningful clinical data? Do they save the ED time or money? Do they improve patient care? As in, do they decrease rates of major adverse cardiac events or mortality? How can they be most useful in the future? Let's take a look at some primary literature and discuss. We'll kick off the discussion with a paper from the New England Journal of Medicine in 2012 entitled Coronary CT Angiography versus Standard Evaluation in Acute Chest Pain, which is also known as the RAMACAT-2 trial. This was a multi-center, randomized controlled trial in an ED population. The study compared coronary CTs to standard evaluation, exercise, or nuclear stress testing in 1,000 patients with moderate-risk chest pain whom ED physicians felt required further risk stratification after their initial ED evaluation. The study population were men and women aged 40 to 74 without a prior diagnosis of CAD, with non-ischemic and a normal sinus EKG, negative troponins, a normal creatinine, and a BMI less than 40. The study population had an estimated prevalence of ACS of about 8%. So what was the study looking to show? Well, interestingly, their primary endpoint was actually ED length of stay, which was felt to be a proxy for aggregate medical decision-making and an implication of efficacy and efficiency. Secondary endpoints looked at time to diagnosis, rate of discharge from the ED, cost, and cumulative radiation exposure to the patient. Additionally, they followed patients up to screen for missed ACS within 72 hours, as well as for complications of their testing. Some nice things about this study. The investigators maintained excellent follow-up in their study population. They could state with confidence that the patients who underwent coronary CTs were safe for discharge by their metrics. They did not miss more adverse cardiac events or see an increase in return ED visits for chest pain, and they didn't uncover any safety concerns, which is all encouraging. In terms of their primary endpoint, the authors were able to show a statistically significant decrease in time to ED discharge, as well as in the rate of ED discharge in the coronary CT group compared to the standard evaluation group. The coronary CT patients were discharged an average of seven hours sooner than the standard evaluation group, which is impressive. And if you actually look at the median time rather than the mean time, that difference increased to 18 hours. Just think, what if you could save the patient and the system that extra time? But then come the caveats. 
the study was unfortunately not powered to detect significant differences in major adverse cardiac events. The authors argued that the cost between coronary CTs and the standard care group was not statistically different, but they had ultimately incomplete billing data and were not able to really tease out how those costs were calculated. There was also some concern raised by the authors that coronary CTs exposed patients to more radiation, though your radiation load will certainly depend on your local practice, including your rate of nuclear stress testing in comparison to your coronary CT, as well as your kind of your CT scanner using a 64 or a 128-slice CT. Additionally, in patients who underwent coronary CTs, they did actually ultimately undergo increased amounts of invasive testing down the line, just not as an inpatient at their initial visit. So rather than replacing a coronary angiogram for this patient, did you just defer it? The take-home point from the authors was that coronary CT is safe, accurate, and may allow earlier discharge and increased rate of discharge from the emergency department in these moderate-risk chest pain patients. But in using coronary CT instead of functional testing, has the patient then inherited an increased risk of downstream invasive procedures? And to what end? Keep that question in the back of your mind for a minute, and we'll look at another trial, a larger trial, which was entitled the PROMISE trial. This study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2015, and the study investigators, Douglas et al., looked at a very large study population, 10,000 emergency department patients now, with moderate cardiac risk and symptoms concerning for ACS. This was a multicenter, randomized controlled trial, which was performed at 193 sites in North America. Patients were randomized to coronary CTs versus functional testing. This study was nice in that it pursued what is called a pragmatic comparative effectiveness design. Essentially, the study investigators strove to keep clinical decision-making as real-world and with as little potential harm to the patient as possible. So regardless of initial randomization, physicians had the freedom to make what they felt were the most appropriate clinical decisions for the patient. What were these study investigators trying to show? Well, they now wanted to focus on primarily clinical outcomes, and increased the power of their study accordingly so they could look into this. Their primary endpoints were death, myocardial infarction, hospitalization for unstable angina, or a major procedural complication. Secondary endpoints included cardiac cath with a finding of non-obstructive coronary artery disease, as well as a measurement of radiation exposure. Patients were eligible for this study if they were male, aged 45 to 54, with at least one cardiac risk factor, or greater than 54 years of age, or female, aged 50 to 64, with at least one cardiac risk factor, or greater than 65 years of age. Patients were excluded if they were clinically unstable, had an underlying arrhythmia, carried a diagnosis of coronary artery disease, or were evaluated for coronary artery disease less than a year ago or they had some form of congenital heart disease, valvular heart disease, or a known cardiomyopathy. They were then followed out from the study for a minimum of one year. So what did the authors find? Ultimately, over a median follow-up time of 25 months, there was actually no significant difference in the rate of their primary endpoint. There was no significant decrease in death, heart attack, unstable angina, or complication in the coronary CT group compared to functional testing. However, keep in mind that even in this reportedly moderate-risk patient group with a number of significant cardiac risk factors, their rate of ACS overall was only 3% as compared to their target 
or expected rate of ACS of approximately 8%. They do note that coronary CT showed a statistically significant 1% decrease in cardiac catheterizations that diagnose non-obstructive coronary artery disease. But with this, there was also a statistically significant increase in the rate of cardiac catheterization within 90 days in the coronary CT group. So again, similar to the RAMACAT2 trial, does the question becomes, does a coronary CT merely defer but not prevent a cardiac catheterization? It's also difficult to interpret radiation exposure in these patients given the variation in functional stress testing practice across the country. The authors of the PROMISE trial bring up an excellent point in their discussion. Previous studies, like RAMACAT2, are able to comment on some of the more pragmatic aspects of cardiac risk stratification, such as time to diagnosis and disposition. PROMISE specifically looks to these to clinical outcomes. Do patients do better with fewer major cardiac events if they undergo a coronary CT? Ultimately, the study investigators here propose that no, there is no decrease in major adverse cardiac events, which is not to say that there's not a population in which coronary CT can't be extremely useful, but the discussion of utility and appropriate utilization needs to remain grounded in both considerations of efficiency as well as impact on clinical outcome, which is not to say that there's not a population in which a coronary CT can't be extremely useful, but the discussion of utility and appropriate utilization needs to remain grounded in considerations of efficiency as well as impact on clinical outcome. Excellent. Thanks, Courtney. Um, So let's take a look at one last paper on the topic. Uh, This one is a 2016 paper from Academic Emergency Medicine entitled Comparative Trends and Downstream Outcomes of Coronary Computed Tomography and Geography and Cardiac Stress Testing in Emergency Department Patients with Chest Pain and Administrative Claims Analysis. This is written by Morris and colleagues. This paper is the so-called big data approach to comparing coronary computerized tomography angiography, or CCTA, versus functional stress testing, defined to include myocardial perfusion scintigraphy, stress echo, and treadmill exercise ECG. Essentially, the authors used a large database to analyze eight years' worth of administrative claims data from privately insured and Medicaid patients in the United States. Of these patients, they looked specifically at adult patients, those greater than uh, 18 years of age, who came to the ED with a primary diagnosis of chest pain and underwent either CCTA or functional stress testing within three days of their presentation. And this came out to just over 2 million patients. First, the authors looked at utilization of each of these modalities. Then they established cohorts based on each of the modalities and after propensity score matching, or in other words, take into account things like coronary artery disease risk factors and other comorbidities, they sought to determine which patients would be likely to subsequently undergo invasive cardiac procedures like coronary angiography, PCI, or cabbage, as well as who would be likely to return to the ED, undergo additional non-invasive testing, become become hospitalized, or suffer an acute uh, MI within 30 days. To go about the analysis, the authors searched the database for adults presenting to the ED over the relevant time period who had a primary diagnosis of chest pain based on relevant ICD-9 codes and who underwent CCTA or functional testing based on relevant CPT-4 procedure codes. In order to perform the propensity matching, they tracked demographic data, including age, sex, and race, and determined comorbid conditions based on documented ICD-9-CM codes from visits the patients had in the six months prior to their ED visit. 
they took these comorbidities and processed them into the Charleston Deo Comorbidity Index, which is essentially a weighted score uh, based on 17 predefined conditions. And to analyze downstream use of invasive procedures, they looked at claims data for the relevant CPT codes, the procedure codes, corresponding to invasive angiography, PCI, and cabbage over 30 days. Similarly, they identified hospitalizations, diagnoses of acute MI, and additional non-invasive stress testing using similar methodology. In order to analyze the differences between CCTA and each of the functional stress tests with regard to downstream utilization and acute MI, the authors created three models, one comparing CCTA versus scintigraphy, another comparing CCTA versus stress echo, and the last comparing CCTA versus stress ECG. In each model, the authors looked to adjust for propensity for cardiac disease by performing a regression analysis and included age categories, that Charleston Deo comorbidity scoring, the year of the ED visit, and certain other comorbid conditions, such as a history of acute MI, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, coronary artery disease. So what do the authors ultimately find? With respect to utilization, the authors found that in aggregate, over the study period, we're actually using CCTA increasingly more commonly, although it still accounts only for the minority of such testing. CCTA has gone from about 0.8% to 4.5% of all cardiac testing that's performed within that three-day time period after presentation, whereas each of the other functional stress test modalities has decreased over that same time period. That said, in 2013, which was the most recent year of the study, scintigraphy was still the most commonly ordered non-invasive test and accounted for about 1,300 out of every 10,000 patient visits. This contrasts with CCTA, which, although on the rise, still only accounted for about 88 for every 10,000 patient visits. So, on to the next question. How did CCTA compare to functional stress testing with regard to outcomes in downstream utilization? Well, for starters, it's worth noting that after propensity score matching, there was really no difference in the 30-day rate of acute MI between each of these tests. So let's compare CCTA versus each of the functional modalities uh, in a head-to-head analysis. First, scintigraphy. The authors found that when compared with scintigraphy, CCTA was associated with lower rates of invasive coronary angiography, but had higher rates of both PCI and cabbage. Compared to stress echo, CCTA was associated with increases in each of invasive angiography, PCI, and cabbage as well. And compared with treadmill ECGs, CCTA had no significant increased association with invasive angiography or cabbage, but was associated with an increased likelihood of PCI. In comparison to all three modalities, patients who underwent coronary CTA were more likely to undergo repeat cardiac stress testing. And finally, CCTA was associated with a greater likelihood of hospitalization within 30 days versus stress echo and treadmill exercise tests but no significant difference in likelihood when compared to scintigraphy. The authors speculate as to why CCTA might be associated with an increased likelihood of downstream testing. Namely, CCTA assesses coronary anatomy and calcium burden, but at least as of yet, we don't have a great understanding as to how to accurately relate these findings to ACS. We know that 0% obstruction has a very good negative predictive value, but beyond that, the guidelines recommend that Those with indeterminate lesions, currently defined as between 50 to 70% stenosis, undergo stress testing, and that might explain why over 8% of patients who get a CCTA will end up having additional non-invasive testing. Indeterminate lesions might also prompt going directly to invasive angiography. 
The data shows that invasive procedures following CCTA are highest in patients aged 65 and older. And as such, the authors speculate that maybe CCTA might be a more ideal choice in younger patients with a low to intermediate risk of ACS. There are a number of limitations to studies of this sort, and the authors highlight a number of the limitations. In particular, in this type of analysis, the results are really only as good as the quality of data in the administrative database. Coding errors, undercoding of comorbidities, miscoded primary diagnoses, and coding discrepancies between providers all have the potential to limit the utility of the data. The analysis also focuses only on patients who presented and had a chief complaint of chest pain, which limits the generalizability of these findings to patients presenting or diagnosed with anginal equivalents. In developing the propensity matching, the authors, by necessity, needed to choose covariates they deemed appropriate. And while the selection seemed reasonable to me, this can, of course, always introduce bias. The authors also point out that the database did not include uninsured individuals, which might limit generalizability to this population. Finally, the authors acknowledge that they lack data with regard to mortality, which would have been a useful endpoint in addition to just acute MI as we consider major adverse cardiac events. So, is there a role for CCTA in the emergency department? Based on the papers reviewed, it seems that this technology would need to be used in a very carefully selected patient population. Given that anything other than an entirely negative CCTA would likely lead to additional testing, functional or otherwise, patients deemed to be high-risk chest pain would generally be inappropriate candidates for CCTA. On the other hand, we've seen ample evidence that very low-risk patients can be safely discharged and managed in the outpatient setting, and the potential harms, increased radiation exposure, increased functional and invasive testing, may not be worth the incremental diagnostic data obtained from the scan. There probably is an intermediate risk patient population who might benefit from this technology with the attendant benefits of potentially decreased length of stay in the emergency department. I'm just not sure we have great evidence for determining which patients best fit into this category. Finally, there are some logistical considerations for CCTA. For example, obtaining quality images with this modality requires adequate rate control. Patients with irregular heart rate, uncontrollable tachycardia, or contraindication to beta blockade for rate control might not be appropriate candidates. Large body habitus can also interfere with obtaining quality images. So there you have it. Coronary CT is yet another potential tool to help risk stratify patients presenting to the ED with chest pain. And like functional testing, it has some significant limitations that keep it from being perfectly useful. When totally negative, it could be thought of as a being as good as a clean cath. Similarly, when totally positive with greater than 70% occlusion, it likely means the patient will end up with a cardiac catheterization and stenting. And whether or not that's truly beneficial to the patient with stable chest pain is an entirely different can of worms we won't open here. When the test is intermediately positive with occlusions between 30 and 70%, it appears to generate more downstream testing and could expose those patients to additional harms by way of radiation exposure as well as the potential harms from diagnostic caths. Well, thanks again for joining us on another Taming the True podcast. We'll be back again next week, actually, with an excellent podcast on the management of tracheostomies in the emergency department. So stay tuned.